leading up to and after the passage of recreational marijuana, I, as someone who supports the legalization of recreational marijuana, did have, obviously, some concerns. The number one concern being, what about people behind the wheel who are high? And part of that concern was, how do we test drivers as to whether or not they're high? That's my first question for Mike Hansen, who is the director of the Office of Traffic Safety, because today uh, a pilot project is starting where these tests are being put to use. Mike, thank you so much for the time. Thank you for joining me on the John Schuster Cobalt Banker Hotline. So how effective will these tests be? Well, Adam, thanks for having me this morning. And, you know, what we're doing today is we're, we're beginning a pilot project that is going to put another tool in our law enforcement partners' hands that will help them to evaluate somebody who is impaired by something other than alcohol. Now, whether that's cannabis or any of the illegal drugs that are out there, or even some of the common prescription drugs are are out there, you know, there's all kinds of substances that humans are using that cause impairment. And this device is just another tool that we're going to be able to put in the hands of law enforcement to help evaluate somebody who does have some signs of impairment. So this is a, forget if I'm saying this right, Sotoxa Oral Fluid Mobile Analyzer. Is that uh, accurate as to what it is and how does it work? Yes, that, that is one unit we're testing. And the other one is the Drager Drug 5000 okay. testing unit. And basically what it is, is it's an oral fluid uh, 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 test that is used at roadside. Uh, a driver who is suspected of being under the influence of something other than alcohol rubs a swab around on their mouth, and then that swab is inserted into a cartridge, which is then inserted into the instrument. And within about five minutes, um, the officer will have a positive or negative uh, test result showing the presence of either the active substance in cannabis or any of the other uh, six drug categories that the instrument will test for. What are the other drug categories? Um, can you can you uh, for, develop, or explain what those other drugs are that they'll test for? Uh, yeah, yeah. I, you know, cannabis certainly is one of the drug categories. The amphetamines, the methamphetamines, benzodiazepines, the opioids. You know, those those common drugs that that are out there are the uh, the categories that are going to be tested for. A question I have is to the cannabis, first of all. A big question that many have wondered is the timing of it. So if someone has used, let's say they used the day before or two days before, would that still register? So how accurate is to the timing of when the usage is and how it's impairing the driver will these tests be? Adam, that's a great question, and it's one I get all the time. And the answer to it, without getting too technical, is the instrument is very sensitive to that because the the substance in cannabis products that makes a human being high is what we refer to as delta-9-tetrahydrocannabinol. Okay, when somebody takes the cannabis product in, either you know however they are ingesting it, that delta-9 is what makes you high. But delta-9 tends to metabolize or start to metabolize very quickly as the body starts to process it and to eliminate it. And so delta-9 turns into several metabolites as it gets older and older and older, and as that high effect goes away from the human being. And so what we're looking for is the presence of that delta-9, which indicates recent use, and when we say recent use, within the last several hours. But once it starts to break down, yeah, the body does hold on to some of that THC metabolite for an extended period of time, but a person is not high because that metabolite is present. So we're looking for that specific substance that makes somebody high. 
We're talking to Mike Hansen, director of the Office of Traffic Safety Pilot Program, begins today testing two methods of uh, analyzing drivers as to what kind of uh, drugs they may be under the influence on when they're behind the wheel. Similarly with like an opioid, Mike, if somebody is actually prescribed opioids and using them responsibly or using them as, as prescribed, I guess how do we differentiate that between someone who I guess is uh, illegally using it or is impaired? Well, and that's where, you know, the, the when we talk about those prescription drugs, um, you know, if, if persons are using them within the, the confines of that prescription, um, there may be some effects there. And drivers, you know, if you look at those little pill bottles that says do not drive or mm-hmm. operate heavy machinery until you know how your body interacts with this, this substance. Okay. And so, you know, but there is also an affirmative defense if somebody is using that prescription within the confines of that prescription. But what law enforcement frequently encounters out there are people who are double or triple tipping um, on that prescription. And that's where that that influence or that hazardous influence effect comes in. And that's where the lab analysis and the toxicology and all of that will come in. These two tests, how widely are they used? Are other states uh, using them uh, past the point of a pilot program? In fact, now that they actually use them in day-to-day law enforcement? Yes, and uh, I believe there's 24 or 25 other states that are currently using them or are in the process of a pilot project and several more that are about to kick off their own projects, either full implementation or a pilot project. So these have been around for a number of years. They are well accepted. They are well studied. Uh, There are, I believe, two states that are actually using oral fluid as evidentiary tests. Now, we're not doing that in Minnesota, and that is not our intent. We simply want to use this as a screening tool, much like law enforcement uses a PBT now to screen somebody who may be under the influence of alcohol. Okay, so right now, uh, during the pilot project, it's voluntary. And then moving forward, you're saying, so it would not necessarily be used as actual evidence rather than just a determining tool? Yeah, yeah, you, you are correct there, Adam. For the, for the purposes of the pilot project, it is all voluntary, okay? Somebody who is, is suspected of being under the influence of something other than alcohol will be asked to submit a voluntary sample. It's not admissible in any criminal case. It's not admissible for any driver's license sanction. It's not admissible or the officer may not use it as part of the probable cause to effect an arrest. It is simply a voluntary sample collection for data collection purposes and to validate the accuracy of the units. And so that is the whole goal behind that. But if it is approved, if you start using these tests, will they be used as actual evidence and as probable cause? Right. And that that is part two of the pilot project. We'll collect all the data. And then next fall, um, our office will prepare a report for the legislature on the accuracy, reliability, and the effectiveness of these tools. And then we will ask for that authorization to use these in the exact same way that we use a PBT to screen a driver who may be under the influence of alcohol. Uh, Mike, I guess, you know, recreational marijuana has been legal now since, since August. Not a huge sample size, not a huge amount of time. But what kind of impact have we been seeing uh, in your estimation as to the effect it's having on drivers and maybe drivers under the influence in Minnesota? You know, it's a good, valid question, and one I also get very frequently, um, but I can't give you really a solid answer. Just because, um, yeah, we have legalization, but the infrastructure isn't in place to really support the industry yet. Um, There are very few places where cannabis products can actually be purchased. 
And so we just don't have enough data yet to be able to tell you what type of an impact we're seeing out there. What I can tell you is when I compare the current five-year period with the previous five-year period, the number of drug-impaired driving arrests is up 96%. Mm. So we see a huge growing problem with drug-impaired driving and specifically with polydrug or multi-substance drug-impaired driving. And so these are some of the things that we're trying to identify. The data that we're going to collect through this pilot project will help us get a clearer picture of what is actually happening on our roads. And then we can develop the countermeasures and, most importantly, the educational strategies that will help drivers and potential consumers make better decisions before they get behind the wheel so that arrests or that crash never takes place. We're talking to Mike Hansen, Office of uh, Traffic Safety Director. You mentioned the rollout after the legalization about how even uh, on the business side, it's still unclear about you know who's selling what in the legal aspect of certain products that are being sold. It kind of seems like ketchup. Would you say the same for public safety and that it seems like okay, the law was passed, but we feel on the public safety side like we're playing catch-up here is to try to come up with laws and abilities to determine whether people are using it. That seems to be behind the... the, You would like to have put this stuff into place, in other words, before it would have been legalized? Oh, certainly there are advantages to that. But I wouldn't necessarily... uh term the the public safety approach to this is catch-up because we've been very proactive knowing that this was on the horizon. A great example of that is the number of drug recognition evaluators that we have out there. Um, These are highly trained law enforcement officers who are specially trained to recognize and then to document the signs and symptoms of a drug-impaired driver. Um, We have 320 currently across the state, which is a really solid number, but we continue to have at least three schools a year adding another 80 to that cadre. So our eventual goal is to make sure that any peace officer across the state within 20 or 30 minutes has access to a DRE if they are dealing with somebody who is impaired by something other than alcohol. Mike, thank you so much. I know you've got to run to a press event here, and I appreciate the time ahead of that. So uh, we appreciate it. I'm sure we'll talk again. Hey, thanks, Adam. I really appreciate the opportunity. I'd love to talk to you again about it. Mike Hansen, Director of the Office of Traffic Safety.